If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or his soul? Your soul is more valuable than all the possessions on the planet. Jesus was truthful and serious about the cost of discipleship. He said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. I have to be the most important thing in your life if you are going to follow me. More important than your possessions. More important than your spouse. More important than your job. More important than your children. More important than your family. He used hyperbole to communicate that. But the clear message ringing through all of it is if you do not deny yourself, you cannot be my disciple. It's impossible to be a Christian without self-denial. And Stephen, who will be the first martyr in the church, is a good historical example of living that out. Of Christ being all. Of Christ being most important. Willing to stand against the very highest court again in his land like the apostles have done. For the gospel. And so we're going to see, we see him introduced last week as we looked at the birth of the, what will develop into the office of deacon. And I point you back to that sermon. And then now we're seeing him arrested and he will give a testimony and eventually he will be the first martyr. Of the church, he will ultimately deny himself and give up his life rather than deny Christ. So, what we see here, and we saw it last week, and we're seeing a turn in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is now going to turn attention outside of Jerusalem. The gospel is going to be propelled outside of Jerusalem by persecution. Something we might see as a negative thing, but not God doesn't think the way we do. He doesn't work the way we do. His timetable, as one of you have already told me this morning, is not our timetable. It's just the right timetable for us to grow in grace. But through what's going to happen with Stephen, and it's almost as though that once Stephen comes along and they've just had enough of this in Jerusalem and he's going to give a testimony, he's going to challenge them again, he's going to be martyred and then that persecution is going to rise up and the church, except for the apostles, is going to be scattered. But we'll see this when we start chapter 8. When the church is scattered, the gospel is scattered and the kingdom grows. But this coming persecution kicked off by the martyrdom of Stephen will propel the gospel out. So we saw sort of the last summary of the church in Jerusalem in verse 7. The word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And listen, it's even getting into the priesthood. And so you can see why the urgency of the leadership is amping up. Many of the priests have believed. And as we look at this text, just 8 through 15 quickly this morning, we'll see that the gospel prepares us both to live for Jesus 
and to be rejected for Jesus or to be rejected by the world. The gospel prepares us to live for Jesus and to be rejected by the world. The religious world here in Stephen's case, but nonetheless. First, first thing we'll look at in verses 8 and 10 is the full, he's full of grace. Stephen is full of grace and power in witness. And I, and I have to admit, verse, verse 8 kind of arrested me this week as I saw this, especially this first phrase. But, but it, says, it says in verse 8, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Full of grace and power. I mean, I wondered, I wondered if somebody was writing something about me, would they be able to say that? Jeff, full of grace. Not drawing any attention to me, but the work that God does, or you. Because I think what we do, if we're not careful, we take people like Stephen and we put them on a different plane. These are special people. These are, these are really holy people. These are not people like me and you. When that is not true. Stephen, apart from grace and apart from Christ, is lost. Sinner. Under condemnation. God has had mercy not only to the Hebrew Jews, but to the Hellenist Greek-speaking Jews. And, and you know the gospel is exploding, and we saw that last week. And he's one of them that has been saved by grace that God has worked in. If you look back up in verse 3, when they were telling them who to pick, they said, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full, full or filled with the Spirit. How do you know? We talked about that fruit of the Spirit, right? And wisdom. They know how to do things right according to the word. And so choose that kind of man. And then in verse 5, Stephen is, is that kind of man. Stephen, they chose, one of the ones they chose and who was ordained and appointed and was part of the ministry. Stephen, it says he was a man full of faith there and full of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, he was a man of Fulfilled with the Spirit. He was walking in step with the Spirit. The fruit of Spirit was evident in his life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so he's chosen for this ministry. And so again, we get, a, we get an explanation of Stephen. And it says he's full of grace and power. Now, if you have a King James or a New King James, you'll say full of faith. And the better... The, the more historical support is for the reading here, full of grace. Full of grace. New King James, King James, different majority text versus critical text. Whole big discussion. But the oldest and the best and the most manuscripts would support it reading grace. Listen, don't let that trip you up. Let me tell you this. I'll tell you this from up front. We have no perfect translations yet. We had a perfect original autograph. We have everything that was in the, the original plus some and Textual criticism is us working our way back down. And when the King James was translated, it didn't have nearly the manuscript evidence of some of the, some of the later translations. ESV is not perfect. NAS is not perfect. King James is not perfect. If you come from that sort of background, you need to be weaned away from that. It's not the Bible Paul used. <laughs> but right here it says he's full of grace and power. 
The only other person said to be full of grace is Jesus. John 1.14 says, and the word, after saying the word was God, with God and was God, is deity in verse 1, and going down through to verse 14, and it says the word, the incarnation, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as, on, as, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The very conduit of grace, the mediator of the covenant, through him grace comes to us. He is the therefore that the source of grace as the divine Son of God. And he comes with grace and truth, full of grace. So I'm guessing first off when it says Stephen is full of grace, that it means he's full of Jesus. He's filled with Jesus. Jesus has taken up residence in him through the grace. That Jesus has brought. He's trusting and resting in Jesus and not himself and not his parents and not his pastor and not his reading and not his giving and not his doing good. He's not trusting in anything other than Jesus for his salvation and his acceptance with God. Salvation is by grace alone. Through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, revealed in the scriptures alone. Five solas, you've heard that from me before. So first part of being filled with grace is being filled with Jesus. What is that? He's totally dependent upon grace and upon the gospel. He has received salvation as a free gift and it fuels his joy to live out joyful obedience to Jesus and tell others how they too can receive this free gift of salvation. He's totally focused on grace and the gospel in Jesus. He's full of grace, not full of self. He's not depending on self. He's not depending on his own strength, his own merit, his own wisdom. He's full of grace and empty, as one can be. And and, and positionally, as we receive Christ, we receive him and then we grow in being weaned away from self as we're glorified. But he's full of grace, not full of self. Grace is the controlling principle of his life. The love of Christ controls us, right? There's another way to say that. I cannot believe that a man like me could have this great salvation and reconciliation with God as a free gift. Wow. And I want you all to know about it. I didn't earn this. In fact, I earned the opposite. I earned hell and condemnation and and forever apart from God. Apart from His grace to bless, but not apart from Him. Under His judgment. That's what I earned. But this is what I get. Because Jesus has lived for me. He has died for me. He has been raised for me. He has accomplished my redemption. And He says, take it. Take me freely. And be at peace. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So on that standing, we can have peace in our hearts. Even when trouble is amping up, and we'll see that later in Stephen. See, salvation for him is by grace. Power is by grace. Peace 
is by grace. He is infatuated with grace and with Jesus. And when you bump Him, that's what bleeds out. That's what comes out. Is grace. He's not an old, mean, nasty legalist. Like Paul is at the moment. Or Saul. We'll see him in a minute. He is full of grace. Would your wife say you are full of grace? Would your husband say you are full of grace? Kids, would your parents say you're full of grace? Are you loving and trusting and depending on Jesus? And has He changed your heart so that you love Him and you love your parents and you joyfully obey them? Because as you joyfully obey them, in that they're leading you in the right way, not into sin, as you joyfully obey them, you are joyfully obeying Jesus because He commands that. So Stephen was filled with grace and he was filled with power. This simply means he was empowered by God. He was filled with the Spirit. We've seen the qualifications earlier. And he was filled with the Spirit to accomplish God's will for him in his life. So being there in the church with the apostles, being an associate of an apostle, he had hands laid upon him. And he too, we've talked about this before, the signs of a true apostle and how that, those were seen in the apostles and their associates, some of whom, some of their associates. We're going to see Philip later and, and things like that. But it says that he was filled with power to preach the gospel. Yes. That's what he's been doing. Like the others, that's what's getting him in trouble. He is openly testifying to Jesus being the Messiah. And therefore the heat is coming down on him. And God is confirming that gospel message in this time in church history through these signs and wonders that He is doing. It is really God speaking and saying, Jesus is my Son. The gospel is true. He is raised from the grave. Trust Him. It says in Acts 17 that based on Him giving His Son, He commands all people everywhere to repent. He points us to his son. But look, Hebrews describes this a little bit in 2, two 1 to 4. But the miracle part, God's power being expressed through confirming signs and wonders. You could call them confirming signs and wonders. <clears throat> but Hebrews 2, 1 to 4 says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, the gospel, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, Old Covenant, Mosaic Covenant. How, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now look at this. It was first declared, it was declared at first by the Lord Jesus. It was attested to us by those who heard, the apostles. Now look what, what was happening. While God also bore witness, God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributing accorded to His will. We talked about that some when we looked at chapter 2, so I'll point you back to that for a large, large amount of this. But notice that the signs and wonders that were done by the apostles, the signs and wonders that were done by Stephen and others, those are not really, they were not really the ones doing that. It was God working in and through them to do these signs, like in Jesus' life when He was on the earth, to confirm who Jesus is, to confirm His Word is true, to confirm the Gospel as true. And we know the ultimate sign is, is His resurrection. They were witnesses to the resurrection. 
So Stephen is full of grace and power. He's doing great wonders and signs among the people. He's preaching the gospel. Look at verses 9 and 10. This is the unconquerable wisdom that God had given him. Gospel wisdom from the Word. It says that I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about all these different synagogues. Just know Hellenist synagogues. And there's a particular one that I want to draw attention to. Jews set free from, from slavery and now in synagogues. But it says this. Then some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen as it was called, and there's others, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. They rose up against the gospel he was preaching. They rose up against the fact that Stephen was saying, like Paul, Jesus is, I mean, like the apostles and eventually Paul, Jesus is the Messiah. The one we've hoped for, the one we've waited for, the one the Old Testament predicts. It is Jesus and so they're going, no. Moses, we know, this, you know. You've heard all the arguments. You can read them in the Gospels. But they rose up and disputed with Stephen. There was an argument because he's going around like, like a lot of the, you know, the apostles do. They go around to the place of meeting and the place of worship, the synagogue. And they're preaching Jesus and teaching Jesus. And so it's being disputed what he's saying. The Jews are not receiving the gospel. In verse 10, look at this. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the Spirit. Notice where the wisdom is coming from. Not Him, but the Spirit through the Word with which He was speaking. They could not withstand it. They could not overcome it. They couldn't put together a rational argument from Scriptures to show that Jesus was not the Messiah. Stephen, by God's grace and the power of God's Spirit, with the Word, was putting forth a convincing case that Jesus was the Messiah that the Old Testament predicted. And they couldn't stop it. And they couldn't argue it away. They couldn't defeat that message. And let me draw your attention back to verse 9. One of these synagogues, one of these areas that is mentioned is Cilicia. You know what a famous city in Cilicia is? Tarsus. Guess who's a big shot from Tarsus? A disciple of Gamaliel. Paul. Now, we're not told for sure Paul is there and, and one of the ones disputing with him. But case could be made. And imagine that, Paul, and you see later how well he knows the Old Testament, being shown that Jesus is the Messiah from the Old Testament and not being able to win the argument that he wasn't. Do you think Paul liked Stephen at that point? Do you think these Jews liked Stephen at that point? No, but they couldn't withstand the wisdom. They couldn't overcome the wisdom. So they repented. And trusted Jesus. Now we better read on. <laughs> Point number two, full of grace and power in conflict. Notice the grace and power doesn't go away when he's in the midst of conflict and eventually when he's martyred. Look at this in verse, the false witnesses rise up. And this sounds just like we're reading, almost like we're reading the trial, the, the trial I'll put it in quotes, of Jesus. 
But in verse 11 it says, Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Well, that's not true. He's preaching the truth of the gospel and showing the, the temporariness of the Mosaic covenant and preaching. But he's not speaking blasphemous words. That was a serious charge which could be met with death. And they look at this. They stirred up the people. Remember them calling out for Barabbas and stirring up the people and all the people against them. They're, that's what religious people do, by the way. When they lose the argument. Have you ever been in some of these congregational meetings? When people lose their mind and start lying about people and making up stories about people and doing all kind of wicked stuff rather than just believing the word. I got a lot of friends and I've been part I've been part of situations like this where you go into a situation preaching the word and people don't like it and they'll just about cut your head off rather than receive the truth. So they're, they're instigating people to lie and they're stirring up the people, verse 12, and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him. Not with interest. They came upon him. They pounced on him. And they seized him. This is not a good kind of laying hands on. And they brought him before the council, the Jewish high court. We've already talked about that. And they set up, look at this, look at this, what these people, so supposedly God's people from the synagogue, no, notice what they're doing. They're, they're religious, but they're not godly. They set up, they set up false witnesses. What is one of the top ten commandments? You shall not bear false witness for any reason, which would include all lying, but especially false testimony against another. They don't see how wicked they are. That's the trap. Religious, we get real religious and proud about it. And if anybody's going to heaven, I am. Well, you're not. If you're not trusting in Jesus. They set up false witnesses, liars, who said this man never ceases to speak word against this holy place, the temple, and the law. For we have heard him say, and I'm sure he had referenced Jesus' teaching on the temple being destroyed and all that and why. They didn't understand it. They're twisting it. You either twist the word or submit to it, don't you? And when you're captive to sin or you're running off in sin, what you do is twist the word in your favor if you're religious. Rather than repent. Seen that happen a lot of times. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, you can hear that in their voice, will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Yeah, the temple is going to be restored because the people have abandoned God. And yet we are flowing from Old Covenant to New Covenant. There are going to be some changes. Read the book of Hebrews. It explains it greatly, the superiority of Christ. And look at verse 15. And gazing at him... That's the same word used of the apostles staring up into heaven as Jesus ascended. I mean, they're like... But not, not in a good way like the apostles. Their, uh, their face is fixed on Stephen with a de determination to destroy. Think about Martin Luther, but it seems like before the world and against the world and when he's at the Diet of Firms and they ask him to recant and the whole world is staring at him. 
to see what, and he finally says he won't, and held, conscience is held captive to the word of God. False religion hates the gospel. And a lot of what goes under the name of Christianity is false religion. But it says that gazing at him and all who sat in the council sought now. This is an interesting statement. All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Well, that'll pause you for a minute. It's like, okay, what does the face of an angel look like? Have these guys seen the face of an angel? Are they speaking metaphorically? What does that mean? And you read a lot of commentaries and you find out they don't know what it means, mostly. A lot of them. But Stephen is at peace. I think that's what it means. He is calm. I don't think his face is glowing like Moses or anything like that. Could have been, but he is sitting there calm. He's not returning the anger. He's not returning the angry stare. He's maybe sort of a confident smile on his face. What's exuding from him is what? Grace. Love. Love can be firm. Grace can be firm. We'll see it later in his testimony. But they're amazed at him. Because they're bringing down a lot of stuff on him. And he's, he's at peace. He knows he is innocent. He knows why he's being resisted. Jesus has already told him, be joyful when you're lied about and resisted because of Jesus. Leap for joy. So even at least inside, he's leaping for joy. He's giving grace and the gospel. And listen, even we'll see it when we get into the end of chapter 7, but even when he is stoned, think about dying like that. A group of your kindred surround you with rocks and that's how you die. Even when he is being stoned, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Now, I have to tell you, being a good old southern boy, there's grace at work right there. Because probably, apart from God's grace, if I was praying anything, it would be get them, God, in pregatory prayers, you know. But look at this grace. And, and Paul will never forget this. And I'm sure a lot of them around will never forget this. Just like Christ who went from the cross said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He is filled with grace. He is filled with Jesus. And he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. This is going to be, apart from Jesus, in Jesus, the first martyr of the church. And we'll go through his testimony and we'll break that down and we'll see that happen. But we're going to stop right there this morning. And I just want to ask you a question. Are you full of grace? Are you full of power? We're, we're afraid to associate with Stephen and, and with things like that where it says people are full of grace and power. Stephen wasn't glorified yet. Now he was after he was stoned and died. His spirit was made perfect. Are you full of grace? Are you totally dependent on Jesus for your salvation? Has God brought you to the place in your life where you saw your sin 
and your need of mercy. You saw that you deserve condemnation from God. You have broken His law. You haven't even made it past the first one. You shall have no other gods. We make all kinds of things God, including our children. We're not careful. Where you have seen your sin and it has, in a holy way, scared you. Knowing you deserve condemnation. But in His grace, He's also shown you the mercy of God available in Christ Jesus through the Gospel so that you turn from self to Jesus, from loving sin to hating it, from disobeying and dishonoring and distrusting God to trusting Him and receiving His salvation. Are you believing in Jesus and Jesus alone this morning? Are you trusting and resting in Jesus alone this morning? That's the only place you can find salvation. But I'm sinful. I know. That's why He came. Not only to call you to repentance, but to enable you to repent and turn and trust Him. I have questions nobody's answered. Good. Join the club. In His time, He'll answer those for you. We don't call the dance for God. One thing He has told you is that He has sacrificed His Son for you. And that should be enough. Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone this morning? Totally dependent upon grace. Totally focused on grace. Is life about Jesus now? To live is Christ, Paul said, and to die is gain. Stephen is confident of those truths, so he's at peace. Is grace the controlling principle of your life? And how about power? Are you do, what do you mean, Jeff? I'm not doing miracles. No, and I'm glad. That would worry me. There are no more miracle workers. Stop sending them money. I'm getting mad. <laughs> I don't like those people. They take advantage of God's people. To be filled with power is to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. To believe God's promise that when you receive Jesus, when you trust Jesus, you get the whole package. You get Jesus and His righteousness and His sacrifice. You get His righteousness credited to your, your account. Your sins washed away. You get a new heart, but you also get the Holy Spirit. And you're responsible to walk in dependence upon the Spirit. How am I filled with the Spirit? I pray into the Gospel and pray into growth and God fills me with the Spirit. You're not depending, if you're not depending in your own strength to walk with Christ, but you're depending on the Holy Spirit. There you go. Because I have to tell you, the more you, de- you walk depending on yourself and your own resources, the more frustration you're going to experience and the less peace you're going to have in the midst of difficulty. But if you will trust Christ, it means God's at work in you, number one, granting you faith. But if you trust Christ and Christ alone, you are saved. You have the Holy Spirit. Depend upon Him. It doesn't mean you're going to be a miracle worker. That was God's special will for those at that time establishing the truth of His gospel. We said it in Hebrews chapter 4, God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributing according to His will. We have miracles confirming the gospel. You know what they are? The resurrection. 
The feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, the raising of the widow's son, the healing of, of Paul. Those are our miracles. We don't need any more. You coming to faith is a miracle. You go from death to life through the preaching of the gospel. But are you totally dependent upon Jesus? Are you totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit? To be controlled by the Spirit. To keep His Word. The Spirit doesn't work apart from the Word of God. This is the Word of God. Genesis to Revelation. The Bible is sufficient. Complete. And you're filled with power if you're trusting in Christ and dependent upon the Holy Spirit to empower you to love and live for Jesus. See, God's will, God empowers you to accomplish His will in your life. And you know, there's a few things I can tell you for definite sure are God's will for your life. To abstain from sexual immorality, Paul says that. Your sanctification. In other words, it is God's will for you in your life to live for Jesus. To walk faithfully with Jesus. To keep His commandments out of love for Him. He said that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. To trust Him and obey Him and talk about Him with your family, neighbors, and co-workers. That's why the Spirit is upon you because the Spirit is at work to take the Gospel to the ends of the earth. He's not empowering you to live for yourself. To have a lot of special experiences. And I, I rejoice if you can. But if your main focus is self-fulfillment and having all the fun you can have, that's not a gospel-centered life. Now, we live at the beach. Is it a sin to enjoy God's good gift? No. But it's a sin if it's your God. God empowers us to walk with Christ, to depend upon His Spirit, to empower us to live for His glory. And if we're filled with grace, we're filled with Jesus, we're trusting Jesus, we're dependent upon Jesus, we love Jesus, we know that salvation is by grace alone. And we have peace with God through Him. God distributes and gives spiritual gifts according to His will. Apart from devotion to Jesus and life dedicated to Jesus, there is no spiritual gift worth anything. So when you read about Stephen and you read about others and you see things like filled with grace and power, don't think, oh, wow, big shot, different level, can't never be like that. God's not going to use you to, to do some of the things the apostles did. But even greater, right? To be able to witness to the gospel and witness to Jesus and see people's hearts change. See their lives change because they now devoted to Christ. You too can be and should be and are provided for to be in Jesus filled with grace and power. For grace to be the controlling principle in your life. And for the Spirit to be the power by which you walk, living out love for Jesus. And secondly, if you are filled with grace and power, you will experience on some level this same kind of rejection. The reason Stephen was opposed, the reason he was lied about, the reason he was eventually killed is not the miracles and signs and wonders he was doing. It was his embrace of Christianity and his testimony about Jesus. 
And if we are faithful to speak about Jesus, some people are not going to like it. And I'm not saying they're going to stone you to death, although they might want to. And don't pester your family to death every time you get around them if they don't want to hear it. But be a faithful witness for Christ. That's part of being filled with grace and power. And know, I mean, Jesus told us ahead of time, leap for joy when people lie about you and persecute you and say, reject you and exclude you because of Jesus. We want to avoid that. These days, we don't want to say anybody's wrong. We, we want everybody to love us. And that's not a new affliction. That's been since time immemorial. But if we are faithful and love, full of grace and power, we will talk about Jesus and some people won't like it. This is what convicted me this week, so I'll ask you the same question. What cost are you currently paying for following Jesus? Who doesn't like you? Not because you're mean or a jerk or nasty or any of that. Who doesn't like you because you love and trust Jesus? Now, in a sense, I get off easy because I get to stand up before all of you and preach about Jesus every week. And yes, some people don't like it. And you'd never know it until you get one-on-one. But not many. And preaching to the choir is an excellent place to, to live and minister. But I can remember this before being a pastor. And I can remember, especially early in our Christian life, we are much more on fire for Jesus than later. Why? When we're first converted, we really don't care what people think. We want them to know Jesus and we'll talk about Jesus. And the more we get around one another and kind of melt that down, and we don't mature into not speaking about Jesus. That's not maturity. But we just kind of get used to not doing it. What cost are you paying for following Jesus right now? There will be some. Especially in personal relationships if you are. Listen, if you... If you in today's culture, if you speak in any form, Jesus will for sexual intimacy, which is one man, one woman, marriage forever, and that's it. Do it in love. Maybe a lot of people won't like that. That's just one, one, one example. And it's going to get... More and more serious to do that, and some of us may go to prison for being truthful someday, in this, even in this country. Thirdly, look at him. He was at peace in the midst of anger and opposition, even while dying later. His face was angelic because he was at peace. His face wasn't wrinkled up in anger or afraid. You know how people look when they're scared. Or, I mean, he's sitting there, just contra circumstances. At peace. Has the Prince of Peace brought you peace because you are at peace with God through faith? Objective peace. We are at war with God until we come to faith in Jesus. And then Paul says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So there's an objective peace. We are reconciled to Him. We're no longer His enemy. In fact, we're His child. And believing and holding on to that, then we get peace in our hearts even through difficulty. Because Christ is there, the Spirit is there, the Word is there. And so He grants us this kind of peace. Has the Prince of Peace brought you peace because you are at peace with God through faith? For Stephen, like Paul later, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Life is about Jesus and it's about me telling you about Jesus. And if that gets my head crowned or it gets it cut off, I win. He's sovereign over all that. 
So Stephen's like, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And just wait. When we look at his testimony, it's like he finally has had enough of it. <laughs> and lets him know. He didn't trust in his own strength, but he was filled with the Spirit. He didn't trust in his own goodness. He was filled with grace. And he was not living for this world and self. He was living for Jesus. He enjoyed God's good gifts. He probably had a great sense of humor. Most people, really reliant, really grace-filled people, usually have the best senses of humor. Legalists are just n- no fun. No fun. You're having fun, you're sinning. <laughs> I, I know, I've been one. <laughs> I went through that phase, that Pharisee phase myself. All because he's living for Christ. He's joyful in Christ. He's rested in Christ. All because of Jesus that he died for his sin. He was buried and he was raised the third day. See, Jesus had already blazed this trail for Stephen and and Peter and John and Paul and all who would come to faith in him. He lived faithful joyfully. I mean, if anybody fulfilled that Psalm 119, it's Jesus. His delight, his food was due to the will of God. He enjoyed glorifying God. He lived faithfully for God. He spoke in opposition to sin and he spoke grace. He suffered persecution and death and physical death on that cross was nothing compared to the wrath of God poured out on him for his, for his people, his elect, the ones given to him. Those who? Those who would come to faith in him through preaching the gospel. He took hell for us, not just physical pain. He took hell for us. And since he was God and man, he drank that cup dry so that before he died, he said, it is Finished. To tell us died. Paid in full. And he was buried under the power of death for a time. Raised the third day from death. And calls us to trust him and to follow him. To deny ourselves. To take up our cross daily. And follow him. And if he's at work in you. The, the grow, as you grow in that. The more grow, you grow in it. The more joy you have in it. Christ died for us. He took wrath for us. He took death for us. He defanged it for us. He delivers us from the fear of death. He gives us purity and passion, growing purity, growing passion and growing satisfaction in this life as we live for Him, delighting in Him and His Word and uses us for His glory even though we're not perfected yet. Follow Him. Trust Him. Rest in Him. Depend upon Him. And it can be said of you too that you are full of grace. His grace. And full of power. His power. Because life is about Him. The one who said this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow Him. Let's pray. Lord, we sing it sometimes, but your grace is truly amazing. That Jesus came to live for sinners, for enemies. That he came to die for sinners, for enemies. That he was raised for the justification of sinners, of enemies, of his people, of those of us who by your grace will turn and trust in him. We can know if we turn from rebellion to submission, if we turn from loving sin to 
to hating it, to depending upon anything other than Jesus, to trusting Him. If we repent and trust Christ, that's all your work in us. It's part of the gift. But that we can believe in Jesus and have salvation as a free gift. We can trust you with the questions you haven't answered yet. We can thank you for the ones that you have. And as confused and weak and needy as we are, we are useful to you on mission for you. Lord, those who may be sitting here this morning and struggling with whether or not they believe or not, Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts with your truth and with your gospel to show them the truth of their situation. And if they don't believe, if they're not trusting Christ alone, that you would grant them repentance today to turn and trust in Jesus. And those of us who do trust you, Lord, work in us by your word to, to love you, to delight in you, to delight in your word, to be, to be being filled with it and dependent upon the power of the Spirit to help us understand it and grasp it and live in its light. Lord, I pray that for us life would be Christ, that it would be growingly a, a true testimony as we say with our lips, to live for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Lord, comfort your people. Strengthen your people. Some who may be rebelling against you right now, who are truly your children, convict them and draw them to repentance. Those of us who are taking you for granted, help us to not do that. But to trust and rest in you and live for you. Oh God, do your work. Save and sanctify your people. Build your church. Rest us all in Jesus. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.